One of the scariest things that I ever experienced happened at a family reunion a few years ago. It was with my husband Aaron's family and there were a lot of us and we were sitting outside and we had stacked up long tables and everyone was sitting around and we were just eating and talking and all of a sudden Aaron's mother-in-law just jumped up out of her seat and started gesturing wildly to her throat or to her chest and before I had even realized what was happening one of Aaron's cousins had also jumped up and run around the table and wrapped his arms around her from behind and started pumping. And sure enough, about four pumps in, a piece of flu, a huge piece of food flew right out of her mouth and into the yard beyond us. The whole thing took maybe 10 seconds and it was over before I had even realized what was happening. But when I think back about it, the thing that made it so scary was how quiet it all was. It, she didn't give any choking sounds like I would expect to hear based on things that I see on television or in movies. There was no air coming out at all. She wasn't able to communicate with us in any way because her blockage was so completely total. It was insidious in, his, in its silence because I didn't even realize what was happening. Last week, Jason talked about relationships the life-giving relationships that we have that can renew us that can push us farther than we ever thought we could go and this week we're kind of talking about the opposite what happens when relationships falter when our relationships break we're humans it happens we hurt one another we get hurt by others but how we respond in those moments can actually aid or hinder our ability to experience God's renewal. And I love these verses from Psalm 51 that Connie just read for us because these are the verses that David penned after he realized his own mistakes. These are the verses that came right after Nathan the prophet has kind of opened David's eyes to all the things that had just happened between him and Bathsheba and Uriah and that kind of famous story that we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And David knows that he is a man in need of renewal, in need of reconciliation with God. He uses the language of forgiveness all throughout these verses. He says things like, cleanse me, wash me, restore me, renew my spirit. David knows that there's a direct correlation between our ability to experience, between our asking forgiveness and experiencing God's renewal, between our working towards reconciliation with God and experiencing the life-giving spirit of God. But I'm going to argue with King David just a little bit here. Because for those of us who know this story, we know that David did so many things wrong to so many different people. And yet, in Psalm 51 verse 4, David says to God, Against you and you only have I sinned. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, seriously? That's just not true. David failed to make the connection between how our relationships with other people and our ability to reconcile these relationships with others also affect our ability to experience renewal. David knows, no, David didn't know that this is a direct correlation that this relationship here and this relationship here cannot be separated 
It's both vertical between us and God and horizontal between us and others. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. Jesus tells us that if we're giving our offering at the altar and we know that someone has a problem against us, we need to leave our offering there and go be reconciled to our brother or sister. Jesus tells us that if we want forgiveness from God, we must be willing to forgive others. And if we are unwilling, we may not experience that from God. The New Testament reminds us that there is a direct connection between these two relationships. So see, really the question that we're asking ourselves today is for those of us who want to experience renewal, who are looking for God's renewal, what happens when we kind of get stuck? What's going on when we're trying and we just can't quite figure it out? Many times, it's our lack of reconciliation in our relationships. It's what keeps us from experiencing the renewal of God. We may need to be offering forgiveness where we haven't. We may, we may need to be asking for forgiveness where we haven't. We may need to be seeking reconciliation. And when we don't, when we don't do those things, it's like that piece of food that got lodged in my mother-in-law's throat. It blocks us. It chokes us spiritually. It keeps the life-giving work of God from being able to flow freely in and through us. It chokes out God's renewal. And I don't think any of us want that. So let's start with what I think may be the hardest one. Offering forgiveness. After World War II, Corrie ten Boom opened up a home in Holland for the Dutch victims of the Holocaust. She said they needed a place to experience uh, healing and work towards forgiveness. And Corrie ten Boom knew what she was talking about because even though she was a Christian, she and her family had been aiding Jews. They had been hiding them and helping them escape, and they had been caught. And she and her sister, both of whom were adults, and their father were all sent to a concentration camp. And Corrie ten Boom is the only one who survived, the only member of her family who came back. And as she worked with these people in Holland at this house, she started preaching forgiveness, and she said a really interesting thing happened. The, the people who had been the victims of the Nazis, the people who were now trying to heal, said it wasn't harder for them to forgive the Germans. That wasn't the hardest part. The hardest forgiveness for them was to forgive their fellow Dutch citizens, their friends and their neighbors, their business partners who had turned them in to the Nazis. Forgiveness is not easy. And the closer the wound, the more personal it feels, the harder it is. We know forgiveness is a good thing. We know forgiveness is a holy thing. But let's not pretend that forgiveness is easy by any means. Now, in any conversation about forgiveness, I feel like we need to start with what forgiveness isn't because we often confuse these two. Forgiveness is not excusing what happened. It's not approving of what happened. Forgiveness is not pretending that, it, that we didn't get hurt. Forgiveness is not forgetting it or pretending like it never happened. Forgiveness isn't denying that it happened or pardoning anybody's wrongdoing. Forgiveness is not letting them off easy or refusing to take anything seriously. None of those things are forgiveness because all of those things have to do with the other person. All of those things have to do with what happened. And forgiveness is not about them. Forgiveness is not about what happened. It is only about us. 
It can't be about them because what if they're not sorry? What if they don't think they've done anything wrong? It can't be about what happened because some wounds cut really, really deep. Forgiveness is about us. And we know this because we know we have a God who forgives us constantly. And that's not about who we are. It's not that we're sorry or that we deserved it. We apologize appropriately. God forgives us because of who God is. And we forgive others because of who we want to be, because of how we want to live in this world. And actually, I've got a little example that I want to show us, and Emmett's going to come help me out with this for a second. We're going to put this microphone down. Emmett, thank you for being a willing participant in this. This is an example that I saw visually quite a few years ago, and it has stuck with me ever since. So I wanted to try it out here. So when we are unwilling to forgive others, we are holding something against them. So we face that way. So I'm holding something against Emmett. And as long as I continue to hold this against him and continue to not forgive, then Emmett's actions affect mine. So if Emmett moves and I'm going to continue to hold this against him, I have to move with him. Everything he does impacts me. But if I am willing to forgive, to offer that forgiveness and to let it go, to not hold this against him, then when Emmett moves, I'm free. I'm free of the bondage. I'm free of his actions impacting me. Thank you, Emmett. I appreciate it. There's a pastor named Rich Belotus, and he says it like this. In the act of forgiveness, we are granted inner freedom from allowing the wound inflicted by somebody else to be the primary and permanent reference point by which we see the world. I'm going to say that one more time. In the act of forgiveness, we are granted the inner freedom from allowing the wound inflicted by somebody else to be the primary and permanent reference point from which we relate to the world. Our choice to forgive is not about them or what they did. It's about who we want to be. It's about us and how we want to live. And some may hear that and say it's selfish, but I'm going to argue that it's self-care both spiritually and physically. There's a report from Harvard Medical School that talks about forgiveness, and it says that forgiveness is associated with lower levels of depression and anxiety, lower levels of hostility. Forgiveness is associated with reduced substance abuse and higher self-esteem. And forgiveness is associated with what they call greater life satisfaction. There was another study done by some psychologists and they measured the effects of what they called accumulated life stress. So the bad things that happen to us over the course of our life, they measured the effects of accumulated life stress on people's poor mental health. And they discovered that there is a direct correlation between all the bad stuff that happens and our mental health. However, they also measured the participants' levels of forgiveness and what they discovered was that individuals who measured high on the forgiveness scale experienced no poor mental health effects from their accumulated life stress. Now, the psychologist said this was astounding. He knew, he expected that forgiveness was going to have some effect because that's why he asked the question. What he didn't expect was for forgiveness to completely zero out the effects of the accumulated life stress on individuals' poor mental health. 
Forgiveness is both holy and healthy. Forgiveness is not about them. It's about us. And that's not selfish. It's self-care. I often hear the pastors around here when we talk about why we want people to participate in the life of 2BC. I often hear them say, we want people to worship with us and to come to small groups and to serve and to give, not because we want this from them for our church, but because we want this for them. Because we know that these things contribute to community, contribute to spiritual growth. These are things we want for them. And that same holds true with forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just something God wants from us. It's something God wants for us. Those psychologists that said it contributes to greater life satisfaction, I think our scripture calls that abundant life. Forgiveness is something that God wants for us. Let's talk about the other side real quick. Because some of us don't need to offer forgiveness. Some of us may need to ask for forgiveness. Some of us may need to make amends. We need to see where we've been wrong. We need to confess our wrongdoing. I don't know if you all, if you all have heard this story of the woman who loves to look out her window every morning and she would see her neighbor hanging out her laundry that she's just washed. She's hanging it out to dry. And the woman just got really frustrated by this because that neighbor's whites were never never quite right. They were always dingy. They were always kind of brown. Like she would complain to her husband, why is this woman not seeing this? Like clearly she needs new laundry detergent. She needs something. And every morning when this neighbor would hang out her laundry, the woman would just shake her head and I don't understand what is wrong with that woman. Why can't she see this? Then one morning she wakes up and she's watching her neighbor hang the laundry and suddenly the whites are bright again. They look great. She calls her husband over and says, honey, come look at this. Our neighbor's whites, they're, they're the right color now. I don't know what happened. And the husband said, I know what happened. I cleaned our window. <laughs> I don't know who needs to hear this, but some of us are walking around with our own dirty windows, thinking that the problem is everybody else. When really, we're the ones who need to check our own actions. We're the ones who need to look at what we have been doing. Maybe we did the right thing, but we were rude about it. Maybe we said the right thing, but were we loving? These things, needing to ask for forgiveness, can also create a spiritual blockage. We don't want that. This last part about asking forgiveness, about working with other people, these are vital steps toward reconciliation. Because unlike forgiveness, which is only about us, reconciliation involves other people. Reconciliation involves us all coming to the table together to work through whatever happened. Now, we're going to talk about this more, but first I need to give two quick caveats as we talk about reconciliation. And the first one is this. I do not think reconciliation is always the next best step after forgiveness. First of all, reconciliation might not always be possible. Perhaps that person has passed away. Perhaps that person is unwilling to reconcile. And since reconciliation takes both parties, there might be nothing we can do. Maybe other times, the relationship that we're talking about was a toxic one or an abusive one. And what really needs to happen is that we set firm boundaries and work on our own healing because to try to reconcile might be detrimental 
to our health or to our safety. So I want to give that caveat as we talk about reconciliation. And I also want to give one more. When we reconcile with others, we need to be wise about it. I'm not going to say there's a right way to do it, but there are a lot of wrong ways to do it. Like the guy who walked up to his friend and said, hey man, I really need to apologize to you. And the friend's like, okay, what for? And he goes, well, I was with a group of guys the other night and we were sitting around and we were just talking bad about you the whole night. I feel really guilty about that and I'm sorry. That was not, that was not wise. That's a true story, by the way. That was not, that was not a good way to reconcile. So the caveats for reconciliation are, it's not always the next best step. We need to be wise in how we do it to make sure it's not selfish, to make sure it doesn't harm the person that we're trying to reconcile with. But those things still lead me to say that most of the time, the next best step after forgiveness is reconciliation. Reconciliation is the proof in the pudding that forgiveness has actually taken place. Reconciliation is the evidence that something holy has occurred in this relationship that was previously broken. Reconciliation is our next best step. But, but again, for reconciliation to happen, both parties have to be willing to come to the table. And that's when the real work begins. Because, like forgiveness, reconciliation is difficult work and it is complex work. Reconciliation is not forgive and forget and pretend like nothing ever happened. Act like you aren't hurt. Just say what you need to do to get through the conflict. That is not true reconciliation. Once we get to the table, we do the hard work actually like Charles was talking about in his prayer today. We do the hard work of listening to one another, of expressing our own selves and our own hurts and sifting through the conflict together. And this is hard and this is uncomfortable, but the work of reconciliation calls us to sit in the discomfort, to persevere through the struggle, because the only way to get to reconciliation is to get through that struggle and find it on the other side. But it all starts with us coming to the table. But this presents a problem for us, especially these days, because I think these days our tables are divided. We're not sitting at the same tables. If I do come to the table, I'm only going to be sitting with people who are like me. And if there are people at my table who aren't really in my circle, then I'm not sure I really want to be at that table. Maybe it's not that I don't like them. Maybe it's just that I don't trust them. The news outlets, any news outlet these days are saying that we are more divided than ever. And we see this even in our tables. But remember, at Jesus' table, there were traitors and there were zealots sitting together the night before Jesus died. At Jesus' table, right before they ate, he had just washed the feet of the most devoted and the most devious who were in that room. At Jesus' table, there's room for all of them. Because Jesus' table is the table of reconciliation. That's what this table is. It's the table of reconciliation. It's the table of the one who the scriptures tell us destroyed the dividing wall, removed it, removed the hostility between all of us. So we come to this table in all of our diversity and Jesus unifies us through him. We come to this table as enemies, but through the reconciling work of Christ on the cross, he not only reconciled us to himself, but he gave us the capacity to be reconciled to one another. And that reconciliation is what we're celebrating today at World Communion Sunday. 
that Jesus's destruction of that barrier removed anything that keeps us from connecting with people around the entire world. That now, when we are believers, our first and foremost identity is in Christ. And that is the unifying factor. And it transcends every other identity, nationality or culture, race, gender, geography. This is our table of reconciliation. But if we're coming to this table today, and we know that maybe we've got something blocking our spirit, we know that we're not experiencing the renewal that we need, then I want to encourage you to do what you need to do in order to let God's spirit flow freely through us again, in order to experience that renewal. Maybe we need to offer forgiveness. Maybe we need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe we need to seek reconciliation and do the hard work of sitting through it. You know, what Jason always says in our baby dedications here is that we pray that between an easy life and a good life, they would choose the good life. This stuff is not easy, but it is good. And it's good for us. I pray that we too would choose that good life. And I pray that we too, like King David, that God would clean our hearts and clear our spiritual throats and renew our spirit. As Jesus sat at that table with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me.